Father, we thank you for all you've done for us. I thank you for all those veterans who have been here not only last Sunday, the Sunday before, but today. Thank you that we could recognize them in some way today. Lord, just we ask for your blessing, all of us. God, the, the, whatever was done, battles fought or even back, back office work that was done, none of that matters anything if we don't have the freedom to give the gospel. And if you've given us through what you've done through our military, if you've given us the freedom here to, to get the gospel out, then God, we've got to put that first. So Lord, I pray you'd be with us today. I ask that you, I ask that today people would engage your spirit as the word of God is preached. For we ask it in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of Haggai. It is the third from last book of your Old Testament. And Haggai is the first prophet to speak words that God had inspired after the Jews had been taken captive to Babylon and then have a scribe write them down as uh, the, word, the scripture of truth. So they'd been taken captive to Babylon and some had actually come back. And so now the tribulation time of the Chaldeans' attack and conquest is now giving, a, giving way in this set of books called the Minor Prophets, giving way to three successive pictures of how to get ready for the coming king, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And as we start to finish this 12-session class in the School of the Prophets, we find ourselves now in new circumstances, totally new atmosphere in this book, and since God is shifting gears then five times in this book, Haggai is called the prophet. One time he's called a messenger. So even though, he, even though his scant 38 verses make this the second uh, smallest book in your Old Testament, Haggai himself is given one of the highest, highest titles. So first let's get the context so we can understand his text without a pretext. In 606 B.C., the first wave of exiles from Judah are deported by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon, 606 B.C. Exactly 70 years later, 536 B.C., Cyrus, the Persian king, makes a decree that all Jews are now allowed to return back to their land. And 50,000 Jews make that return trip to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel. Now look here in Haggai chapter 1. <clears throat> the first year they get back, they are on fire. I mean, the altar gets built and sacrifices are offered and the feasts are being reinstated. And the second year, the foundation stones for a brand new temple are laid but now we've got to consult Ezra in order to get the final piece of this puzzle, which is going to complete the background landscape for the book of Haggai. So look at Ezra chapter 4 on your handout, verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel... Then the people of the land, who were immigrants and colonizers. I don't know why everybody calls the Israelis immigrants and colonizers. 
the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even unto the reign of Darius, not Darius the Mede, we see him in the book of Daniel, but of Darius the king of Persia, then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So for 15 years, while the foundation stones sat ready for something to be laid down upon them and, and that foundation to be built upon, the temple is not completed. Now that is a historical circumstance behind Haggai speaking as the Holy Ghost moved him like Peter talks about, 2 Peter 1.21, and it's recorded right here. Ezra 4 verse 24 says the second year of King Darius. Now look at Haggai chapter 1 verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Judah the son of Josedek the high priest, saying, Stop. Okay, let's, let's cast the characters. Who was Zerubbabel? Well, Zerubbabel was the civic leader because he was the governor in the land. A high priest named Joshua is the religious leader of the day. Zerubbabel's name means sown in Babylon. Zerubbabel is of the royal seed. Zerubbabel is direct line descendant from David, but that line was cursed by God and cut off in Jeremiah 22, verses 28 to 30. So Zerubbabel shows up here, not as a king, but as a Persian governor of Judea. His father Shealtiel's name means asking God in prayer. So no doubt his dad is a godly man. He's asking God for the birth of a son to carry on that royal line. He doesn't know how to resolve the issue of the Messiah being a descendant of David and sitting on that throne, and yet that line's been cut off. He doesn't know how to resolve that. All he knows is, God, will you give me a son? And that son is born or is sown in Babylon, not in Judah. So Joshua, which is the New Testament name Jesus, which means Jehovah saves, is the first high priest after the captivity. His father, Josedek, which means Jehovah is the righteous, was the one taken by the Babylonians into captivity in 1 Chronicles 6. Joshua is also the grandson of Sariah, whose name means Prince of Jehovah, 1 Chronicles 6, and he had been executed by Nebuchadnezzar at Riblah right after the capture of Jerusalem, 2 Kings 25, but before its destruction 20 years later. So Zerubbabel is in the line of Christ. He's in the line of Christ. That's, but this is why Christ had to be virgin born to escape that curse. Joshua is a picture in Bible type of Christ, both in his name and in his office as priest. They are the, this dynamic duo that God is using to restore the nation of Israel politically and religiously. 
And for that reason, Haggai's words are aimed directly at them. But check this. This is our thesis for today's study. Haggai's words are also directed at you. Number one, because of this time of transition and of us moving ministry to the facilitation of a new facility. And number two, because God is preparing us in the last days of the church age for the coming of the King, the Messiah, the Lord of glory, who will finally sit on the throne of David in the millennial kingdom. So First Chronicles, or excuse me, First Corinthians 16 verse 9, Paul says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. That's what we just read in Ezra chapter 4. And, and you know how it is, for they're not adversaries and they're complications. Because anytime God opens to you a door ministry, the devil has both his devices, which you should not be ignorant of if you read the Bible, but he also has his agents. And he will attempt to do what Ezra chapter 4 told you he would do, weaken your hands, trouble you in building, finance people to argue against you, and frustrate your purpose. So Haggai delivers a message that has two purposes for you. Number one, he reveals the perils in our age of adversity. And secondly, he declares our duties in light of that age and the perils in which we live. Haggai is doing for you exactly what I am doing for us. The attack today, let me define the attack because we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. The attack today is against your Bible and your children. Prove me wrong. And the duty we have is to teach Character qualities to your kids, Christ-likeness to your kids, and to defend the words that God has given us in English. I think so. I think that's what we're to do. Those are the two things which are our mission on the move. So Haggai is waiting, and he's warning us about four particular perils during this time of both moving and growing. And then he's going to give us the instruction and wisdom and understanding necessary to give a faith response during those perils so that we can move to becoming an overcomer. So this is your duties during the perils of these last days. And I want to take each one of these four things in order. I want to let God prepare us for our move and for our ministry, and for meeting our adversaries. Anybody want to hear this? Just say, drop it like it's hot, Alan. I'll even take silence as consent, because it's just that important. Number one, first off, notice if you will, there is the peril of false contentment. Look at verse two. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, the time has not come. What time? The time that the Lord's house should be built? Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Wait, they were waiting on something other than the bare word of God to get them going. 
They were waiting on something other than discipleship to equip them for what they needed. They wanted some type of special blessing or specific event because in the meantime, they had their own houses to seal, which doesn't mean put a ceiling over it. That particular word as it's used. Now, we use the word ceiling today with a C to mean what's over your head. But in the Bible, it does it means really as if we were using the word with an S, sealing it. So on the inside, they are sealing it with wall covering. Second Chronicles 3.5, basically the same thing the Holy Spirit does when you get saved and he comes inside of you. He's sealed up inside of you. So on the temporal material side of things, they are spending and they are building and they are saving. But on the eternal spiritual side of things, they're waiting. And the problem, according to verse 5, is we do not consider our ways. We don't take the time to think through and consider where that path is going to end, where we are really going, where it is going to take us. And we do not consider the way that God wants us to do things. So in this 10th class in the School of the Prophets, Haggai tells you how to counteract each one of these perils by performing a specific duty. And he doesn't just even leave you right there with that. Because after he tells you the duty, he reveals the the available dynamic by the Spirit of God so that that duty can be done by the child of God. Now watch, verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways... Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. So now that doesn't sound like a strictly spiritual solution, does it? So here's our first point for study. Sometimes you have to utilize the physical in order to call down the spiritual result. That is God's ways. And when they did not do that, then, then they, were, they were stymied. They were paralyzed. They couldn't move. After they did that, then something happened which did not happen in that generation of Jews before the captivity. They actually considered their ways. They did take the words of God through the prophet to their heart, and they humbled themselves, and they began to obey by simply doing what God says. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. In other words, the word of God in their Bible and the words of Haggai the prophet. So what he was saying in his preaching, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. I want you to notice the emphasis. I mean, but we all like verse 13. God is with me. I want God with me. I I need to know that God is with me. But I want you to notice the emphasis in verse 12 on God's actual words. There is no preserved word without preserved words. And preservation, according to Bible definition, operates in a continuous line. It wasn't lost in the first century or the second century or the third. It was not lost down in Egypt someplace. 
Now, that, now, the fact it wasn't lost, but it was preserved in a continuous line, that is why we have biblical authority today in the English words of the King James Bible. Because the fragments of Greek are not preserved. You say, well, Alan, they are preserved. I mean, <laughs> after all, there are fragments. And yes, I admit to you that all the skeptical scholars today take those fragments and try and assemble a new text and overthrow the words that God has given us. Okay, I'll admit that. But those fragments were not intentionally preserved. The Holy Spirit did not preserve those fragments. Those fragments were accidentally preserved because where are they digging them up from? A trash dump in Egypt land and pulling them out of the noses of mummy's masks. I am not making this up. So, God always answers to his word. Therefore, it is the word of God that does the work. Now watch it work in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit. Wow, the spirit answers the word. That he stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judea, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. So here's our second point for study. True spirituality is not just a will working of human willpower, but it is your willingness to do God's work. It is your willingness to work for God. Haggai preaches for 24 days, and it's not after, until after 24 days of preaching, he gives an invitation. And the invitation is, come and work. Uh, do the work which proves your faith. Do the work that shows you trust God. And therefore, that work calls down the Holy Spirit's involvement by his presence and his power. Hello, somebody. Because here's our third point for study. There is always power available to enable you to do the work of God with the word of God as long as you are willing. Shamanala, Rhonda, should have bought a Honda. Now, look, you guys know I don't speak in tongues. I, just, I, I don't speak in tongues. But if I did, I'd do it right there. These are important truths for us right now. They prepare us for the next six months. In this age, the temple of God is the church, this body of believers, Ephesians 2.21. And I know you've got to build your education on the way to building your job uh, so that you can be on the way to building your family and you can be successful, uh, at least in society's eyes, whatever that means. But it is sinful contentment if that is not done in tandem with the spiritual work of God for you and for your family through this church. Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ so loved this church that he gave himself for it. Not this building. I mean, as far as we know, they're going to knock it down. But for this congregation... So the purpose of any church building is simply to assemble the saints for ministry, to have a platform and a place in which to minister and to invite people and to invite the suffering, the seeking, and the lost. We're doing the work of God from here. You do not have to wait 
for a personal invitation to do that. Wait, hold it. This is your personal invitation. I'm, do, I'm making it right now. I'm speaking to you personally. I am inviting you right now. Climb that mountain. Bring that wood. Uh, you know, God will be with you. It will work. As soon as we load up everything from here and take it to our demise, then God is with you. So, so, you know, sometimes we feel so far away from God. That's why we want to know we have his presence, because we feel so far away from him. And the reason we feel so far away is because our priorities are not right. Our priorities and our family's not right. Our priorities and our finances are not right. Our priorities with regard to ministry and discipleship, why God wants us to do the, you know, you only, God hasn't changed. His spot is the same. And I'm not saying you left him per se. I'm just saying your priorities are messed up. So if you will go with us and build, then verse 8 says, I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Nothing means anything. If the word capital W is not glorified, John 1, 14 and 17, 5. And if God's word, small w, is not magnified, Psalm 138, verse 2. Nothing else means anything in this world. So, if you'll turn to Haggai chapter 2, the second peril is that of false discontent. If you are discontent about things that you ought to be content with and content with something that you ought to be changing. And that discontent will result in discord because after the work starts, some of the older people looks at the building that they are making in light of the church they all previously attended. Look at verse 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? So they compared the relative discomfort of getting used to someplace new in 2024 with the relative comfort of familiar surroundings in 1993 and in 2023. I mean, after all, not everybody can afford to drive 1.0 miles further east. I mean, it's, it's a quarter, it's 25 cents more in gas. So they had a false contentment because they looked at conditions that were opposing them instead of the command of God for them to build. And they had a false discontent because they looked at their present opportunity in light of their past glory. And yet, and this is our fourth point for study, the glory of God and what you do right now with us is always going to be greater than the glory of whatever you did in the past. Shaman, Alaranda, Shuda, bought a Honda. I mean, you guys know, I mean, I don't speak in tongues. If I did, I would do it right there. God, as I mentioned last Sunday, has that jet plane anointing. There are no air brakes on God's jet. The Holy Spirit will never move you backward. He is always moving you forward. You know the reason that's so great? Look at our fifth point for study. It's because the glory of what we do right now with God is the fulfillment of what God's will is for you today. 
Say, Alan, I think I just need, you know, my therapist tells me I just need to be present in the moment. No, baby Baba, you need to walk in the spirit. I don't care what your therapist telling you. Yeah, I think you need to walk in the spirit. That's what you need to do. And I'm glad you fulfilled God's will yesterday. Praise the Lord. But do not leave anything unfulfilled in these times of growing darkness. So to correct our false discontent, Haggai says in verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Paul tells Timothy, his son in the faith, be strong in the grace. He tells the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord. He tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. How? How can I do that, Alan? Well, I put these verses on your handout for you. Because this isn't my sermon today, but I'll give you the verses. Ephesians 3.16. That's how you do it. Philippians 4.13. Colossians 1, verse 11. 2 Timothy 4, verse 17. And then Haggai offers this dynamic, which will answer to you doing the duty. Why? Why is God with you? How do you get the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, with you? Look at verse 5. According to the word, that's number one. God is with you in his written word. So my spirit remaineth among you. That's number two. The Spirit of God indwells every believer. I mean, as soon as you get born again, God puts you in Christ and the Holy Spirit in you, and, and then that Spirit answers to the Word of God in your life as you give faith responses and you believe it. Fear ye not, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. That's number three. The rapture of the church to be with the Lord. Well, that's going to shake heaven. And then for us to come back with him at his seventh, second advent, well, that's going to shake this planet. And Jesus will bring peace. That's been the desire of all the nations. That is the desire of every Miss America. And every Miss World and every Miss Universe, I want world peace. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So first, you've got God's words in English in the King James Bible and in Spanish in the Reign of Valera in 1960. Second, you've got the Holy Ghost sealing himself inside of you, Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 4.30. Third, you have the Lord catching us away to be with him, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And seven years later, he returns with us. And so not just to shake the heavens, but to shake the earth this time, and the sea, and all nations. And then the leader that they want and the peace that they desire will arrive with Jesus. I think you missed your shout cue right there. Because verse 9 says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, 
saith the Lord of hosts. You know, you can always count on the consistency of God. And these are the same three things that God is going to use to motivate you. He uses the word of God. He uses the spirit of God answering to his word. And he uses the promised return of Jesus from heaven. And then a shaking, a second advent, and a glory-filled temple will result. So, Hebrews chapter 12, there on your handout, if you just begin with me in verse 26. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only. Now this is the Holy Spirit's commentary on Habakkuk 2.6. Not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made. That those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved... You get that now when you get saved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God's a consuming fire. And right now there is a God of grace who is for you. God is a God of grace because this is the day of grace. We call it the church age. So he offers to you today the free gift of everlasting life for believing in Jesus, his son. But when the shaking out starts, when he returns, then 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 says, he returns in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Why? Because they rejected him all the way to that point. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not hate speech. That will be the consequence of your hatred of him. And that means you need to obey the gospel today. And you need to get saved by believing in Jesus. Because delay is so dangerous. Now the third peril and duty is the peril of false expectation. And to understand this one, let's, let's work our way from the bottom up. So from verse 19 back up to verse 11, go down to verse 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Now that's a rhetorical question, and the expected answer is no. Uh, they've planted seed because they were obedient in laying the temple's foundation stones deep in the ground. But as yet, they were still not seeing any blessing. Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not brought forth, even though they were seeing no physical fruit for their obedience, God says, from this day. Not from the day that the temple actually gets done and it's all finished, but from this day, the day you lay the foundation, verse, verse 18, from that day, I'm going to bless you. You came back from Babylon on fire, but it took going through hell and high water to get your temple, get it going. Well, guess what? I'm not going to reward you from the day it gets finished. I'm going to backdate your blessing. How many of you have ever had God give you a backdated blessing? I'm not going to start the Sunday that you finally got baptized. I'm not going to start the, the, the Sunday you got your Discipleship One certificate. I'm not even going to start the Sunday you finally started tithing. 
I'm going to go back all the way back to the day that you got saved and you laid the foundation of your life in Jesus Christ. Your rewards are going to start right there, but I would not do that if you give up. So because you did not give up and you finished your race, God says, I'm going to bless you from the very beginning. I don't care you took 15 years off. I say this all the time in counseling. As long as you do the right thing, as long as we get to the right conclusion, I don't care how we got there. So, so what if you get saved, but you never grow? Well, then God does to you what he did to the Jews in verse 17. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands, yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. God frustrates you at every turn. He, he, you know, you refuse, if you refuse to get plugged in, get involved, be consistent, become balanced and grow. He's against you. Now, I'm, you know, if you, if you are a note taker, you happen to be taking notes, you ought to consider that list. Plug in, get involved, be consistent. All of that will result in you becoming balanced and starting to grow. If not, God may smite you physically, materially, financially, vocationally, or emotionally. But today is the day that you can decide to start walking in the Spirit and walking in obedience. Judah said, we, we obeyed at the beginning. After 15 years, we obeyed by completing the place that we could minister from and worship in and serve God to his glory. You know, the weeks have passed into months, and, and we still see no sign of blessing. But blessing does not come as a result of bare effort or strict obedience or willpower to conform. No, let me hit you with a definition. Blessing is a gift of God's grace, which is activated by your faith, so that through you, God can perform. Hello, somebody. They had this false expectation about what spirituality accomplishes and how God works. Now, I'm going to tell, let me tell you, let me tell you why. My church is not as big as Joel Osteen's. And it's not because we're here and we're not in Houston. Um, the, 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 the reason why is because you want me to tell you that if you get saved... If you obey, then you won't have pain, you won't have problems, and you won't have predicaments. No, baby Baba, it's not the millennium yet. I cannot tell you that. We are perfected through suffering just like the captain of our salvation was. Hebrews 2 verse 10. So the prophet gives a third duty to correct the false expectation. Verse 11, thus saith the Lord of hosts, ask now the priest concerning the law. So in the case of any conundrum and to eliminate any confusion, go to the priests who are God's instruments to teach you God's word. Go to the pastors, ask them to show you a Bible principle. Go to the word of God to define your situation, your life, your response, and then give that response by faith in God's word. So, verse 12, if one. Now, what's the result of that? How do we view ourselves even though, you know, after we've been obedient. Now, we're going to be obedient. Okay, I'm just, I'm just telling you up front, we're going to be obedient. God has given us a great thing, as far as I can tell. He's given us 
12 times more space than what we thought we were going to get for a million dollars. So God, God's given us that. For the same amount of money, we're getting 51,000 square feet instead of an additional four. So, okay, God's giving us that, but now we've got to give. I'll share with you what the, you know, we, we went to the pastor's retreat. We came back with a 2024 budget and calendar based on God giving us that. So we're going to be obedient. We're going to go. We're going to do it. We're going to not be afraid or at least act like we're not and fool the devil. So we're, so we're going to do that. Now, how should we view ourselves for being faithful like that? Well, be careful, verse 12. If one, speaking of a priest, bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? So here's a priest. He is carrying a consecrated offering in the skirt of his robe. Now, the offering itself is holy, but if the skirt of that offering touches anything else, will that thing be made holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Now, if you touch holy flesh, you are holy, Leviticus 6, verses 25 to 27. But not if you touch the skirt of the garment that's holding the holy flesh. Now, of course, Jesus, being God's son, breaks this all to smithereens in Matthew 14, verse 36. But there's a principle here Haggai is going back to, and he applies it to them. Verse 14, then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. It's still unclean. Okay, you've been obedient. You're thinking in a transactional sense, I should immediately give you blessing. No, you don't understand. You're still unholy. I'm the holy one. And you are only holy as you do my work, not because you are holy in yourself. Now, you have the Holy Spirit inside, but he's got to seal himself inside because your flesh is wicked. So just because you are touching a holy Bible and the Holy Spirit makes your body his temple and you do a holy work, that in itself does not enable you to say, well, I'm holy now. No, it will get done because God does it, not, and because he uses you, not because you do it. God says, because I am holy and I am using you, you are not. That is a false expectation about how God works. Because you are not saved by any ceremony, sacraments, sacramentals, or rituals at all. Paul corroborates that, Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit, not of his works, not of his deeds, not of his willpower. But if he sows to the Spirit, he shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, sowing to the Spirit, working in the Word, serving in ministry, in the power of faith. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now if you faint, I'm sorry. John talks about this in 1 John. You lose a full reward. 
So we've got to return to the Bible even if there's no immediate blessing. Why? Because it is holy and it is our holiness. You are giving God obedience now. Are you, are, will you be with us to start building again? Galatians 5, 7 says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Well, my transactional expectation that God would give me something in return, that kind of hindered me. Listen, God doesn't have to give anybody anything in return. God bought you at the cross with the price paid in the life of his son. So Isaiah 29, 16 says, Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work of him that made it, he say, may say, he made me not. Now, evolutionists say that and atheists say that. Or shall the thing that framed say of him that framed it, he hath no understanding. Romans 9.20, Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? People do that today, even some Christians. But we are his servants. And this slave will not get any rewards until really until the judgment seat of Christ. Now there are natural positive consequences to obeying God. You'll get that. But all the rewards are at the judgment seat of Christ. And then it will be worth it all. So this is our final point for study. Be content to do your best work even with little external result. Holiness comes without bargaining, but not without blessing. So you've got to simply endure until the harvest. Be not weary in well-doing, and do not faint, so that you will reap in the season when blessing is due. So in the final analysis, and for what God is preparing us, avoid number four, the peril of false fear. They looked at their military position in light of the nations around them. They had a false fear. It'd be so easy for me, for us to look at our monetary position in light of what we've got to own when we get there and get things done and, and have a false fear. It is the strength, the strategies, and the solidarity of the enemy that's always intimidating. And yet, not you, but me, God says. Look at verse 22. And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. And I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of heathen. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down. Every one by the sword of his brother. It won't be by you. I will have them end up killing each other and killing themselves. But until that moment... The throne of kingdoms, the strength of heathens, the chariots and their riders, the ca cavalry and its riders, all filled them with dread and despair. The corrective word through the prophet Haggai is this, verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Wait. Now, what I want you to do, having read verse 21, move from the nouns to the verbs in verse 22. Okay, focus on the Lord and what he's going to do. Okay, look at verse 22 again and, and move to the verbs. He will overthrow, he will destroy, he will overthrow. Oh, the enemy may always own the nouns against you, but God is active in your verbs. Hello, somebody. 
And here's what we need in light of the last days of the church age in which we live. In light of how Christians have become adversarial against God's words in a King James Bible. And in light of how adversarial our culture is becoming against Christians. We need to stir up vision and faith. We need to understand that if we stir up the gift of God, which is in you, when we put our hands on you and bring you into ministry with us, 1 Timothy 1.6, then God will complete his will with your life in the building up of Christ's body in spite of and to despite every adversary. Haggai carries the message for Harvest Baptist Church as we end 2023 and we enter 2024. And that message is the fourfold proclamation of what Haggai shows us. First, it is wicked to be, be content and wait to be obedient. This moment is the right moment to obey the gospel, to get saved by believing on Jesus for everlasting life. Second, it is foolish to be disobedient with where God is leading you if you only see it in light of where he led you before. Do not measure your ministry by Midtown. Do not measure your ministry or this church by any other church in Blue Springs. Do not measure ministry by something different other than what God is doing or giving to us right now. Third, it is paralyzing to expect immediate results for present obedience. And your holiness is only due to the fact that God's using you in ministry. It's due to your ministry. So never grow weary in well-doing, no matter what the results are. You will reap. All you have to do is stop fainting. And finally, it is the sin of distrust to fear the opposition. Our God's greater than all the adversaries combined. Amen? Amen. So if, if we wait until the devil gets agreeable to the step that God wants us to take, we'll never take it. Instead, I want us to covenant together today to work together this way. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Neither was Zerubbabel's, as you can see in the very last verse of the book of Haggai. I think the overriding theme of this book is six words that I lift out of chapter 2, verse 4. Just six words. Yet now be strong and work. Thank you for your, your time. Mine is up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know if you knew this or not, but God also battles with unfinished tasks. Because the thing that is not yet finished in God's work is his people. That spiritual temple of believers where he dwells by his Holy Spirit and reaches others with the gospel. You represent the antique car in God's garage awaiting restoration. You represent that string of Christmas lights not yet put up on the house. You represent that wall that's not painted and that room that's not clean. But the difference between God and you is that God never leaves dealing with you until another day. 
He never puts it off until a different Sunday. And secondly, God will not quit before you do. Now, I've got to warn you, if you quit, God gives up on you. But God will not quit before you do. So what is the priority of your life? Ending 2023 and entering 2024. The Lord may shake the heavens and earth. He may, he may shake the heavens and catch away his bride, the church, all those who have been born again before this year is even up. Even so come Lord Jesus, Revelation 22, verse 20. So stop and consider your way. Jesus is the way. Go the right way. Are you saved yet? Are you a Christian yet? By being born again, you can be today. All you got to do is pray. Just your heart to God, knowing that he hears you. Did, you know, I don't know if you've ever studied comparative religions. No other religion on this planet offers you that. None, none of them offer you the certainty of knowing a God who hears you when you pray. But this is God's promise given to us in his word. All you got to do is pray. And you have to pray because it's an exchange of life. <coughs> this is a transaction you've got to make with God on your own. But just pray. You're not saved by the exact words of the prayer. You are saved by your faith, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So just pray and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know I'm a sinner. But Jesus died for me. Jesus made it all about me. He suffered for my sins so that he could save me and give me everlasting life for my faith in him. God, I want that life right now. I want the life that is in Jesus. So I take today, I take Jesus as my Lord. God, save me for Jesus' sake. Put me in Christ. Put the Holy Spirit in me. Make me born again. <coughs> I don't have to see anything. I don't have to feel anything. All I've got to do is trust your word because that is your promise. So here, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you prayed that prayer, come to the front, let us know. I want to give you a copy of my book, next steps for new believers. I want you to grow. 